You're listening to the Revenge of the Birds podcast, part of the SB Nation Podcast Network. Hosted by Blake Murphy 7, all about your Arizona Cardinals. All right, and welcome in. This is the Revenge of the Birds podcast. Back to you here. This is Blake Murphy 7, also on Twitter at Blake Murphy 7. The name Blake Allen Murphy. And we're here to talk Arizona Cardinals football as always. Uh, got some big news this week. Every week it seems like we're hoping for a break when it comes to this team. And it seems to simply escalate week after week. Talking about Monday, Kyler Murray's agent dropping. Um, not quite the equivalent of what you'd say would be a ransom note, but definitely one of the more talked about pieces of media. Then two days later, some surprising or not so surprising extensions. Here to talk about it with me is Kent Hodder. Kent uh, at Kent underscore Hodder on Twitter. Where do we even go from here, considering that we were just talking about the Arizona Cardinals reaching a point of potentially having to move toward Murray? Or Kyber Cliff. Now it seems Michael Bidwell's gonna try to make it work with the three of them together. Or is this gonna be a little bit of a shot over the bow to Kyla Murray and his camp? Um, first of all, let's we can talk about obviously the letter that dropped last Monday, uh, as far as simply pushing some of the narrative. But the fact that it was followed up with these extensions for Cliff Kingsbury and Steve Kime, tying them to the organization for at least the next six years through 2027, didn't seem like it was the timing that was particularly important. This may have already been in the works, but compared with Murray's letter, man, it, it just made Cardinals fans, I think, head their heads sent spinning this past week with all of the news dropping all at once. Yeah, and it's it's just really interesting timing. You've got the letter day one you've got cliff and kyme both do combine interviews on day two and then the extensions drop on day three strategically timed after the interview piece so they're not talking about it repeatedly um and obviously eric burkhardt's letter was very strategically dropped the day before cliff and kyme were going to have to speak to the media basically creating the one and only talking point that was going to hold any value for the media at that point but i Eric Burkhart knew that his client Cliff Kingsbury was getting an extension. He's probably spent, you know, if, if not weeks, months mm -hmm. discussing a contract extension because these things don't happen overnight. Um, and I can now also sort of think from a team perspective that maybe they've gone, let's get these two sewn up. And then we move on to Kyler Murray you look at when some of these quarterbacks have been extended in the past, you're looking at Josh Allen, Patty Mahomes. It's, it's generally about now, probably between, in the next six months, you should expect something, or I'm, I'm going to expect something to come out for Kyler Murray because there's, you can't sign these two guys to a, to five-year extensions and then not say that this is our quarterback moving forward. Um, so the letter or no letter, however we want to read into that, I don't think it's the the best look moving forward. I don't think it's it's a great a great PR move from the team or or Kyler himself. But we've all forgotten about it now, right? It's we've all moved past that. We've all moved on to these these contract extensions. Uh, and it's interesting too because, the, like you said, the timing was so key to that when the Cliff and Kime extensions came out. Everyone, all they could talk about was, oh, well, I guess this means that you have to extend Kyler Murray now. Like, it's not that you're holding them all to account 
wait another year before we extend everyone. You've at least made your bed with Cliff and Kime, and it seems in that regard that there's not really any argument against giving Kyler Murray that extension. You've already committed to the general manager who, as we've talked about, has um, added this quarterback that's helped turn the team around. They've made good free agency moves, good trades, hasn't brought the most draft capital in. And Cliff Kingsbury, for all the Cardinals have done in this turnaround, he still has a 24-24-1 and record. So he's still a 500 head coach. Now, obviously, that has to take into context season one to season three. We've seen growth. That's been one of the biggest areas. But most people would argue that Murray has been one of the biggest parts of the turnaround. We saw Steve Keim with Bruce Arians not having Carson Palmer for the late stretch of the season. We've seen what it looked like when they had a year with Steve Wilkes and Josh Rosen. It very much painted a picture of it being an aggressive move that, by all means, people will question Michael Bidwell heavily if he doesn't extend Kyler Murray. Now, like you said, it's not a good look for him and his camp. There's other quarterbacks who probably have gotten those deals, but maybe in some level have proven a bit more. Even the likes of Jared Goff and Carson Wentz, at least had playoff wins on their resumes by the time they had gotten those contract extensions. Um, the comparison I kind of had for Kyler, at least, was more of a Dak Prescott, a guy who didn't really have a playoff win, took a little bit of time to get there, team was kind of middling at times. Um, I think at least you can argue Murray's done more with less, but it's going to be interesting to see as far as the time frame, like you said, because um, Arizona has seemed to want this deal to get done before free agency has started and try to push for some of that. It would be able to allow them to re-sign probably one or so free agents. Um, I know Kyle Odegaard, uh, who previously wrote for the Arizona Cardinals.com, he said he had heard through a source that it was a week and a half's worth of time that the Kyler Murray extension had been sent from Eric Burkhart to the desk of Steve Keim. They had heard no response. Um, through some people I'd talked to, I had heard it was about two weeks, so that seems to line up and that the Cardinals have just not gotten back to him. Um, <laughs> maybe it's just simple as Steve Keim is wanting to make sure that he's gotten his bread taken care of before he negotiates with Murray. Uh, we've talked about how he can probably be one of the guys who is more of the decision makers in that building when it comes to the team and management. And he'll definitely want his share of some of the credit for, you know, taking that risk with a collegiate head coach and a young quarterback who by some accounts, many NFL people truly frowned upon and they've managed to turn it about. So I think it's one of the avenues where it's not quite as bad as the Cardinals fans who were, um, you know, ready to grab their uh, torches and pitchforks and start storming the Cardinals headquarters with news of the extension. But with it being a six year type of extension, tying Kyman Cliff for what seems to be a longer time, there's definitely going to be some questions about Michael Bidwell if he's committing himself, maybe overstepping the bounds a bit or rewarding after the first time you simply see success for the Cardinals. Just boom, instant locking up. You're good to go. There may be some room for regret in the next year or two. And I think that's been what more fans have worried or wondered about when it comes to this trifecta of Kime, Cliff and Kyler all together. And I, I guess the, the, the time frame of an extension sitting on Steve Skyme's desk. It's probably also the guy who's going to sign that contract, the guy who's going to be taking the money out of his bank account and putting it into Kyler Murray's bank account is Michael Bidwell. And he's going to want the two guys that bought this kid into the building to sign their contracts, agree, get that news out, 
before even starting to move on to this Kyle Murray contract. So it's probably something, yeah, you could have communicated a little bit better. Michael Bidwell probably needs to pick up the phone and talk to Eric Burkhardt and say, we've got this contract, we're sorting out A and B, and then we'll move on to Kyler. And we really understand Kyler's importance to the to the team and you could manage that better. And a lot of that communication piece probably could have been done significantly better throughout the entire process. But, you know, at the end of the day, it is what it is right now. Um, you've you've signed these two guys to five-year extensions. So one plus five, you've got six years. You're probably going to see exactly the same for Kyler. One year left on his rookie deal, five-year extension. What that does is, or Kyler may get a longer extension, but the five-year number, what it does is it allows you to get past the proration of a signing bonus and then means at the end of that five-year period, if Cliff, Kime, and Kyler are not where you want to be, you can get rid of that quarterback quite easily without too much pain on the cap. And from a coaching and GM perspective, really, it's good. It's going to depend on a lot of language in the contracts and how much money is guaranteed and what they're getting paid. And But there's absolutely nothing except money stopping Michael Bidwell firing either of these guys at the end of next season. There's absolutely nothing stopping Michael Bidwell from going, nah, I made a mistake. I'm going to correct that. So while a five-year extension for both these guys is massive news and, and something that is going to bring a little bit of stability to the building, stability to the, the decision-making processes of where we're not going to see someone like Steve Kime maybe go, I've got one year left on my contract. I have to win now and start throwing future draft capital around to get guys into the building. You know, Steve Kime's going to sit there and go, well, I still need to try and build through the draft. I still need to get these young guys into the building. I still need to future-proof this roster, something that he hasn't been great at doing in the past. And it's something that we've all talked about. You know, he's not the greatest drafting guy, but we also... We do need to give credit where it is due for a guy like Steve Kime to be able to be the probably the key decision maker in, in, around the personnel to, to build a team that had five wins, got to eight wins, now has 11 wins. And you're doing that basically through a free agency and trading process. There's, there is definitely something to be said for if this team can nail down some draft picks you know, you, you've probably got a really, really strong front office in place. And it's something that I often overlook. We we tend to zero in on the draft and we tend to zero in on this is the best way to build a roster. And yeah, maybe you're going to build sustainability and success through that method. But you look at how the Rams just, just made the Super Bowl and, and the biggest dis- difference makers on that field, you got Aaron Donald, who was a draft pick, Cooper Cups, your mid-round draft pick. Odell Beckham Jr. was, was a, a mid-season pickup. Von Miller was a mid-season trade. They've traded for Matthew Stafford. That and You really need to combine both of these methods to get the best out of a team. And if you can see an Arizona team having a really good draft over the next couple of years, you might finally see Isaiah Simmons look really comfortable in one position, get Zabin Collins on the field, maybe a couple of those young defensive linemen take another step forward. It's set up relatively well and you've got that stability in place now with, you know, who your head coach is going to be, you know, who your general manager is going to be. Hopefully we're very soon going to know exactly who the quarterback is going to be. 
And from the outside looking in, if you're thinking, hey, I want to go play for this team who who has just made the playoffs, had a really good season, slumped away, but I can help change that. I can be a difference maker for this team. That stability in the front office and in coaching is really going to give me a lot more comfort coming into that organization and saying, I know that this is where I'm going to be where I'm going to be fitting in schematically. This is where I'm going to be fitting in in the pecking order. This is this is the regime that's going to be running a lot of the decision. This is where the decision-making is going to come from. It just becomes a more attractive prospect for someone signing a long-term deal, coming into the building and being like, yeah, this this is my home now. Mm-hmm. And, I, and I think it, it is, it's been thrown around a little bit. I think that's probably one of the key things was there may have been some nervousness around the ability to get free agents into the building and signed away without that stability. Yeah, that's definitely what the, at least the biggest takeaway that I can see a lot of people in the NFL having when it comes to um, not just your ability to be paid by the team, but also your role with the team as being a huge part of that as well. And, and, you know, if, if you're looking, you know, particularly offensively, you can see exactly where you're going to fit in with what Cliff wants to do. And you can be sold on a role rather than going and signing with Arizona and signing for a specific role in the Cliff offense. And then the next year he's gone and maybe it's a, a guy who comes in may maybe you're a tight end that's a, a a block first tight end with a little bit of pass catching ability and then someone else comes in and all he wants to be his tight end to be a main pass catcher and he wants him running routes out of the slot and suddenly you find yourself going from number one tight end to number three tight end you find yourself playing 90 percent of your snaps and going down to 30 percent of the snaps and and yeah you're still getting paid but we we all know that you're not going to be happy when you're not on the field so it, ju- it just gives people that extra little bit of a boost to say yeah this is a place that i can see myself comfortably playing for two three four years all right it's been it's interesting also i think when it comes to just the role of not just with the coaching staff the relationships that are there um, but also the role as far as when it comes to Michael Bidwell and how he can feel stability as well. Uh, moving, I think, to a new general manager after the team has had a level of success, if they have one down year, suddenly you're talking about, you know, this moving on from Steve Kime. It may not be as simple as just moving into and promoting a guy from within because if you're just going to be moving to more of the same that you've already had within the building – really you're not making that much of a shift, not only a, a much of a change in the decision-making that's happening. I mean, you'd be moving to one of the guys who's already been making decisions for the Arizona Cardinals as far as a scouting director is concerned. You would essentially be undergoing a whole transformational philosophy, and we've seen that with Michael, he will make those moves, but he will make them when he feels that Things have bottomed out. They've fallen behind in the division. Best example of that, of course, being at the end of the 2012 season, you could tell that things were intact defensively. They need someone to fix the offense. I think they wanted to go out and find someone to try and salvage some of Kevin Cobb. Uh, Obviously, we know that they tried to go after Andy Reid. He ended up using the Cardinals as leverage for a bigger deal with the, uh, the Chiefs, if I remember correctly. 
uh, has gone on to win a Super Bowl there. But really, in that regard, the Cardinals ended up backing into Bruce Arians and really did see that turnaround coming from being on the same page with Cliff and Kime for, you know, as long as they were on the same page. I think that's something that we'll see because, Ken, we felt that the Cardinals have been maybe somewhat off the same page when it's come to Cliff Kingsbury and Steve Kime and some of their decisions. Uh, obviously, at least we've talked the news that Andy Isabella's wanted a trade. There's people who have not put that on Steve Kime and seen it as more of a negative for Kingsbury. I think a lot of that had to do with the Cardinals wide receivers coach at UMass, uh, or I should say was at UMass. So he would have been one of the people stumping for Isabella. Kime is one of the people, at least I know, who had to be sold also on moving off of Josh Rosen. He probably would have loved to have held on to Josh for a year, tried to maximize his value. I think Kingsbury at least understood you don't want to have those two quarterbacks in the same building trying to cement his guy, not have any sort of tearing. Maybe as far as that went, some of that decision of you could have seen maybe I don't think Kyler would have been ruined for the most part, but you probably would have at least seen for whatever goes what happens kind of happens when it comes to with Arizona. And that's one of the places with this deal. Now, I did have a fan who reached out or asked me. I thought this was an interesting kind of question is this does open the possibility that if the Cardinals and Cliff and Kime did want to move off of Kyler Murray. Theoretically, you could trade him and be able to add another quarterback. Now, no one's seen that happening this year. There's been no report that teams have even reached out to the Cardinals. They know better that he's not available, essentially. The question, I think, for me and for this uh, person, at least, wondered, is it more likely that instead we could see that Steve Kime does something similar to what happened with Steve Welk? Let's say the Cardinals have a down year. There's still questions, at least about with Cliff, maybe not the adaptability, but questions about the approach, maybe being outcoached. Could it be a spot where the Cardinals and Steve Kime put the onus on the coach, try to then move on, but keep Steve Kime as the GM and then try to say, hey, the coach is the issue for the most part? I think that there's some interesting, noteworthy areas of seeing that the problem continually is with bringing in the coaching and the coaching staff versus the talent that has to work. It'd be like a, a restaurant saying that, you know what, this chef is just not doing great. We're giving this chef fantastic ingredients. He's not cooking a great meal out of it. I think there's been definitely questions that some people have is if maybe this is not necessarily a Cliff and Kime move. Could this be more of Michael Bidwell wanting some of Steve Kime to be around for the long haul? just because it may end up being that they don't want to make that type of a move to a whole new GM, or at least it was an interesting idea. I still think that there's enough of a level we've seen for the most part with Michael that I think the two are still somewhat tied together, but it's also as long as the Cardinals keep winning and continue to improve, or at least be this double digit win team over time. We don't see these down seasons. They're making the playoffs. As long as that sort of progress from where the team has historically been is intact, I don't think it's that much of an area to worry about, but I can certainly understand the caution of seeing how the Cardinals draft picks is just not really improved that much under Kime, and the fear of him being attached to the team long-term is something that there's some fans that have that. I, I, I definitely understand the, the fear of having Steve Kime attached to the team now for another five years. But again, it's, it's, go, it's going to be, it's a results driven business. The NFL is a wins driven business and will continue to be a wins driven business. Do I see Steve Kime outlasting Cliff Kingsbury? I really don't think I can, I see that happening because the moves that have been made over 
probably the last five or six years by Michael Bidwell has has consistently lined up the contracts of his head coach and his general manager. They've consistently lined up contracts with with these guys. And that's that's not a coincidence. That is a move that is made strategically to make sure that these guys understand that they're a team and that they're on the same page and they need to be working towards the same goal. Uh, I I also think you look, Cliff Kingsbury is Steve Kimes' third head coaching hire. Um, and I think if you look throughout the league, you could probably say three is you, you don't see many GMs being able to hire a fourth head coach. Um, yeah, I would, you're also going to say, look, he's, he's had two very successful appointments or one very successful appointment, one work in progress and one failure of an appointment. But yeah, I, I don't see Steve Kime being in a position to be able to hire a fourth head coach in, in so much that I just don't feel like Michael Bidwell is going to see Kime and Kingsbury as significantly independent of each other in terms of responsibility for success of the team. They're, they're, they're either both going to be responsible for the successes or they're going to be both responsibility responsible for the failures. Um, I, I think you look at, you look back at, if you touch on Andy Isabella, I think Andy Isabella is a guy that it's it's a Steve Kime problem, it's a Cliff Kingsbury problem, and it's a head a wide receivers coach problem. This is a guy that everyone looked at and thought this he projects and fits so well into this role that we want to run offensively that we we just can't see this failing. But what? What the, the, they've essentially they've just missed on the traits of a player, and particularly with Andy Isabella, you're looking at his ability to catch the ball away from his body, and you're looking at his ability to get off the line of scrimmage. The 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 delays in getting line off the line of scrimmage cause havoc in the timing and the passing game, which makes things incredibly difficult to incredibly difficult to execute because you want a quarterback to be, you know. In his drop back, get to the back, the top of his three-step drop, and be one, two, three, ball out, or one, two, three, four, five, ball out. You you don't want your quarterback hitching. You don't want your quarterback having to wait for a receiver to break open because he was late off the line of scrimmage. You don't want your quarterback having to wait and create because that just causes issues. So, with Andy Isabella, his ability to get off the line of scrimmage was a was a problem and. I think a lot of people bought far too much into the senior bowl that year, route running against receivers, one-on-one, timing not an issue. And I'm sure you can go back. I think I was probably in the same camp there just going, look, this guy looks amazing. He's creating separation like it, like it's easy to do at this level. But you go back and you look at it a little more and it's dancing at the line of screw injury. It's taking a second and a half to get two, three yards down the field and, you just can't have that in the NFL. I do think with with the likes of Kingsbury, Kime, and Bidwell, particularly Kingsbury and Kime, I think offensively they're quite they understand what each other wants. I think they understand where people fit offensively. You can see Andy Isabella being drafted. You can see yeah. that's where a Rondell Moore comes into the equation. Mm-hmm. I think it's probably more the other side of the ball, and I'm not not sure whether that's um 
someone like Advance not really being as involved in that draft process. But it but it could just be maybe they're looking at guys, maybe they're not factoring in the, the comments of the defensive staff as much. And maybe also there there may be some disconnects internally within the defensive staff. I'm probably drawing a long bow here as well, but maybe a Billy Davis and Avance Joseph don't see what they want out of a linebacker the same. And Billy Davis is saying, yeah, get me a Zayvon Collins and get me an Isaiah Simmons because I can make those guys into difference makers. And Vance Joseph is probably going, yeah, but I don't really want those types of guys to be playing the position for me. So the the guys who see the field, if they, <laughs> you, it really does show that from the top to the bottom of an organization, right through that coaching structure and through to the GM, you need to be, everyone has to be on the same page with what you want. Otherwise, you are going to be putting square pegs into round holes. And we've seen that a little bit. Hopefully we can see a little bit more uh, flash from from some of these guys and some consistency from some of these guys on on the field and moving forward yeah you you made a great point mentioning how it's very likely that bidwell is tying cliff kingsbury and steve kime together because he's extended them with their contracts together this isn't something where cliff got his contract first and then kime did that'd be very noticeably separating now again we did see the same type of extension that was announced shortly after the uh, signing of Steve Wilkes, and Steve Wilkes, of course, is uh, no longer a member of the Cardinals coaching staff or other coaching staff, to be fair, at least with each of those areas. Uh, I think it is interesting when it comes to the likes of with what happened with Isabella. You're right as far as the biggest concern that people had was simply that the production didn't measure up against elite competition. He was a tremendous guy at a smaller school, but when you're stacking up against the likes of, you know, SEC college football players, looking at areas, there was questions about not just his steps and getting off the line, like you said, but also the routes. There would be too long to get into sometimes with the routes. There would be other needs as far as needing to be able to get the ball at the line, being able to explode through for just some of that horizontal passing game. And he was a downfield sort of guy. There's obviously um, quick passing game to the slot that's part of the air and ground raid that Cliff Kingsbury brings that just wasn't really part of Isabella's game I think to multiple games where he'd be wide open in the side of the field but something would be just off where he had just not quite run the route like he needed to run and we were talking about two or three years in the league what's interesting I think is Adrian Wilson when comparing him they asked him about what was the comparison that you have for like an Andy Isabella he immediately brought up Julian Edelman which stands out in a lot of minds of people thinking of the Super Bowl MVP Julian Edelman but what doesn't stand out is the first four years of Edelman's career in which I believe he had a combination of like maybe 16 catches total was mostly a special teams player needed a long time to be able to develop and the Patriots had all sorts of time to give him with Tom Brady and with Wes Welker in front of him I think that it's a combination of a player that they wanted the time to get there and just then the development of it didn't match up, especially when you consider the fact that Edelman was a seventh-round pick and a former college quarterback versus a second-round pick that was the ultimate result of the Josh Rosen trade. Daniel Jeremiah said that if he was a fifth-round pick, we probably would have had such different expectations for Isabella that it wouldn't have mattered. And I think in that regard, at the end of the day, it's you hope for the best, even if he does end up blossoming with another team. Um, I think it's very clear once Rondale Moore came into the picture, you could see a guy who is 
far more athletic than Isabella when it comes to not just some of the combine results, but being bulkier at that size, being able to make use of just getting yards after catch. It fit a little bit more of what we think the Cardinals probably wanted and giving Kyler Murray maybe a little bit of extra level of comfort. You can just check it down to a guy who you know where he's going to be close to the line of scrimmage. He can make a guy miss and go and We'll see as far as if he's going to be able to be utilized further down the field or more on outside receiver routes um, with the Cardinals this upcoming year because they, with moving on from Isabella, it's definitely a place that they do need to get a second receiver of some sort um, if they're able to utilize Rondale Moore and a way more down the field. That would certainly help a lot of um, a lot of those issues, I think, overall, Kent, where we don't get to necessarily say that the picker, the idea behind it was wrong. But this is a case where ultimately the player just did not develop at the rate or in the way that I think that Cardinals fans were hoping for. And in that regard, perhaps it's one of those areas that reflects not just like you said on a bad Steve Kahn pick or on Cliff Kingsbury in the wrong way, but just reflects on how difficult it is for guys to be able to make it in the NFL. Uh, in addition, um, it's not just a Cardinals thing. Um, it's a tough league for people to be in, and not every player, even if you run a 4-3-40, is going to be able to make it work in the NFL. And I, th- I think there's a lot to be said about the development of players in a professional environment. You're... As soon as you step into an NFL team, you are fighting for every snap you see, be that offense, defense, special teams. There really isn't room on an NFL roster for a purely developmental player where you're going to get someone from, say, a C minus level and get them up to a B plus level to really make them impactful on the field. And I guess that's what everybody sees everybody sees traits and potential coming out of the draft, but there's something to be said. And I know it's a a terminology that Daniel Jeremiah uses a lot is, you know, let's hit it. Let's hit some doubles here. Let's, let's hit singles and doubles, make sure that we're getting guys who are going to see the field. They're going to produce within our scheme. They're going to be able to do the job that we require them to do rather than looking to try and swing for the fences. every, Every pitch that we see, every pick that we take is going to be a home run and we're going to draft seven all pros maybe you you sacrifice a little bit of that ceiling to to gain a little bit more floor and and just put a more polished player into your team from day one and i think we've seen andy isabella is is one uh one one example of that where you had a player that wasn't ready to play at the nfl level and was going to need a season of coaching two seasons of coaching to really get him up to speed with the timing and the route running and getting off the line of scrimmage and being able to impact the game. We can look at Isaiah Simmons as well. And he, I mean, he, he came into the league without a training camp. It was a very, very difficult thing for a lot of the rookies that year to, to do, but he, he came into the league without a training camp and was asked to play so many different roles, but it, but it's also you're, you're not projecting that pick as okay what we're getting here is a starting linebacker with elite upside you you really want to make sure that that guy is going to be at worst that starting linebacker that you think think you're getting and i've i've had conversations around isaiah simmons before and people saying he's a disappointment and he's a bust and you know 
yeah, the way it was sold pre-draft was this is the ultimate weapon to be playing at linebacker. But I, do, I don't think you can ever be disappointed in getting a 10 or a 12-year starter at linebacker out, out of the draft. So, again, work in progress. You've got to learn. But, again, the, the backing on every draft pick to actually hit their potential in the NFL, it's very, very rarely going to happen. So when looking at draft picks, you probably need to be looking more at what is their floor, what role are they going to play, and if we get more than that, then it's upside. And I think, again, I look at it, someone like a Buddha Baker, they took him at the top of the second round and, and a, a guy that you put into a specific role and he does exactly what you expected him to do. Now, I'm probably a little bit lower on Buddha than a lot of a lot of people who are fans of the team. He's a, flies around the field. He's an animal. He loves contact. He's, for a smaller guy, lays out some big bodies but he's got his flaws in coverage and he's he's not always in that perfect position he's not always getting his head around to play the ball and there's a few little bits and pieces that frustrate me at times but what you see is what you get and people people like that about a guy like him whereas with an Isaiah Simmons and ultimately with an Andy Isabella all you're seeing is potential that is not being fulfilled Yeah, definitely think there's a huge measure as far as with development. And some of it even is, like you said, expectations is, I think, a big part of it for that one. Like the expectations for a lot of people with Isaiah Simmons, I think, coming in were wanting him to be a Bobby Wagner type that has not necessarily been what we've seen. But it's also evidence, I think, you've seen of areas in development. And we've seen, obviously, in the NFL, the expectation of these times and turnarounds is... It can be very difficult. Um, Simmons is a guy I remember one of the biggest conversations people had was, is he going to be physical enough to be a linebacker who can stick his teeth in there to be able to make those tackles when you're watching him run like a track star down the with this, you know, Captain America type frame. Um, and we've seen like some big plays he's made. There's the tackle, obviously, on Derrick Henry that shows a physical nature as well as the goal line Trey Lance nature we haven't seen I think the same type of physicality that some people have liked to but we've seen still the adaptability we've seen also some limitations Isaiah Simmons when he's an edge rusher at least the Cardinals when they were defensively at some of their best wasn't they were able to line up Chandler Jones on one side um, get their other pass rusher with Simmons being on the other side and he was able either to rush after the passer or be on that tight end and cover him down the seam effectively to where quarterbacks did not have that safety valve available on third down. And that was something that we saw had to change over time due to injuries, due to other evidences. I think it's one of the spots where it shows how you can, at least as an organization, be doing all that you can and it still not be enough just because it is the National Football League and professional sports in a way. And it's not something that I think that you can overly boo or try to tear everything down to necessarily you know, start over every single year. It's part of why I think the stability of these contracts are in play. But it's not also something to, like you said, praise someone about. There's not really a positive spin on the India Isabella situation altogether that you can pull out of and say that this was a net positive. Uh, I don't think anyone would say that. Um, I do think one of the areas, and this will be interesting to see, will be with Kyler Murray and his upcoming deal. How exactly invested the Cardinals get into it? Because... 
if they decide to add years onto the end of his deal, put him along with Cliff and Kime, or if he ends up, because of the nature of the quarterback position, ends up with a slightly longer type of structure, or Kyler's camp may look at his age. He's just turning 25, I believe, uh, this year if he's not 25 already. I think his birthday, if I remember correctly, is August, uh, just before Thames, uh, I believe, at least start their season. Uh, you're talking at least about an interesting look because of the way that you've structured it. Uh, I know there's been mentioned that Kyler Murray, his camp would not want to play for the $5 million this year um, with relation to the Baker Mayfield contract. That's been mentioned before. Mayfield put off him signing for a year, hurts his shoulder, and suddenly you're talking about the Browns looking at moving on from him at quarterback. He didn't make a whole lot of money this past year, and I think the Cardinals in Murray would love to have that stability. It's just going to be a question of how where do they go? I think Kent, what I think, and this is kind of the prediction I've just had from looking at it. A lot of people have been worried. They're like, I don't think you pay this guy 40 million a year. There's a difference between maybe say a consistent cap hit of 40 million per year and making that in terms of dollars. Because if Murray adds four years for 40 million a year onto the end of his current deal, well, He's not going to make $40 million a year. He was only making $36 million over this last year of his deal. Obviously, his fifth-year uh, option is going to likely get picked up. So you're talking then about probably $32 million a year over the next six years. And I'm expecting the Cardinals to add a fifth year that's a dummy year that they can just push salary back into just so that they've got a little extra flexibility. That's a huge difference from the idea of you know paying him Patrick Mahomes money or even the Josh Allen contract which did factor in those two years but it added I believe six years onto the end of his deal versus four if they did this and kept it at four years I think that they could add a fifth just for that dummy year that Kime would be able to utilize it would essentially tie him to Kingsbury and Cliff but as we know Ken when it comes to quarterbacks as long as you've got a star quarterback unless they essentially raise hell and try to push their way out and We've really only seen, I believe, to my record, one player, I guess, maybe you could say technically two players successfully do it. One would be Carson Palmer, who threatened retirement and essentially did retire for half of the season rather than return to the Bengals. He had already put away, got paid, got his $50 million, he said, at least guaranteed in the bank, was set and content to retire. You're talking about Matthew Stafford, who the team almost traded him, not just as a service to him, but... They were able to essentially get enough picks to be able to rebuild just from taking on Jared Goff's contract from the Rams. And we have not seen a lot of these teams that have had these quarterbacks that they've kept around that have been under contract actually leave. Someone has looked up and said the talk around the NFL is at Russell Wilson. He's not going to be traded from the Seahawks, at least. He'd have to do a whole lot more. They do not want to move on from him. We've heard at least that Aaron Rodgers could return to Green Bay. There's some talk that people don't know what's happening there, but even Tom Brady, it was when he was a free agent that he changed teams. Same with Peyton Manning when he did. I think what the takeaway for the most part we have is if Kyler Murray's saying he wants to stay here and get paid, uh, I mean, even Deshaun Watson, he has not been able to leave Houston due to the tenuous situation that's been there, and he would have had to pull some sort of retirement card. He still has shown up for the camps. He's been a part of the team. He just has not been active. We're seeing this pattern and trend in the NFL of teams have realized that quarterbacks equal stability. And it's something where I think you and I are pretty much on the same page of 
it's very unlikely that Kyler Murray does not get any sort of contract extension that comes up through this year. Maybe some of the timing of it may up coming into question, but I think when by the time we get into training camp, we'll probably see Kyle, Cliff, and Kyler all have their new deals coming into this next year. And even just some assurances the Cardinals may send to Murray's camp now that he is going to be receiving that contract despite a lot of the drama. Cliff Kingsbury on the Pat McAfee show really made a huge case. We can talk a bit about that as we kind of start to wrap up the show that a lot of it was probably overblown simply just because of the nature of these contract discussions and the seriousness of Kyler having to put out, hey, like, most if you decide that you're just going to wait to year four like don't we're going to be pushing back as hard as we can there's not much more that leverage that they have outside of having to throw a fit that puts the cardinals in a negative light i think it's going to be it's weird to say that this could be all for naught at the end ken kent but it really feels like that may be where it is because of how what i think kyler's contract will look like how the team has gone about with their business this year feels like that this is one of those weird avenues of the Cardinals have been in the headlines for all the wrong reasons, and yet it doesn't seem to matter for most quarterbacks that go back to their teams anyway. Yeah, and I, I just don't think the – we're going to look back on the last probably month, six weeks, in three months' time or in six months' time when the season's starting, and, and nobody's going to remember all of this stuff going on in the background. Um the deal is going to be signed on, on all three fronts and, and we're going to be getting ready to, to hopefully win some football games. The deal itself, it's, it's really an interesting, interesting way that you can structure deals based on how many years you put in there and with what dollars guaranteed salary, how much money is paid in signing bonus and all of those little iterations. But at the end of the day, the contract is going to be a five-year contract because that is the number of years that generally you do, sorry, it's, you can only spread a signing bonus over five years. So that can be three actual years or, and two void years or however you want to deal with that. But any NFL contract these days, be it Pat Mahomes signing a 10 year deal. The reality is that's a five year deal because come year six, the chiefs are either going to cut them, trade them or restructure them. And the restructure, you're going to take a guy who's supposed to be getting $40 million in salary and making that a bonus. So he still gets his $40 million in cash. The cap, it gets spread out. And they're probably going to put a whole heap of years on the end of that and make it palatable for them to to build another team. And I, the other aspect of what sort of a type of a contract he gets and what, what the average per year it's going to be. And the average per year doesn't matter as much as cash payments and all of, all of that sort of sort of stuff but you look at where the salary cap's going as well and you go well between now and two years time you're probably going to have a salary cap that's that's 50 or 60 million dollars more than it is currently you want to sign your quarterback now when 45 million a year on average is seen as high but is probably normal as opposed to trying to sign that deal in two years time where your quarterbacks are going to be 60 million dollars a year and it's you're going to get into these stupid numbers that are just crazy because of the importance of the position. And look, I, I just don't see any reason for the team now to sit there and say, this deal isn't getting done somewhere between now and the, the, the start of training camp um, on, on the Pat McAfee show. Look, it was a lot of, 
interesting stuff that that Cliff talked about. There was even some uh, uh, an intimation around Rodney Hudson having to be traded for when he was going to be cut, and there was some interesting that sort of Cliff sort of shut down quite quickly and and said along the lines of that's that's a story for another day, which is kind of interesting. There's there's definitely something going on there. I understand why you trade for a guy as opposed to letting him get cut just to make sure that he comes to your team as as opposed to having the choice of a number of different destinations. One thing that I I picked up, obviously Cliff's just an awesome dude. He's he would be the greatest guy to to hang out and have a drink with. Um, <laughs> talk, talked about obviously the the famous draft fire photo and the five phones on the table and how they set that up and ran around and got all of his assistance phones and all sorts of diff- different stuff there. Just just an awesome dude. But he talked about he talked about learning his craft and improving his craft and particularly talked about after DeAndre Hopkins went out, he didn't change and he needed to. And that was, that's probably a massive thing moving forward for us. And it sort of links into probably a Rondale Moore role and it links into Christian Kirk, probably not so much Christian Kirk himself, but where he's going to fit in offensively. With DeAndre Hopkins and with another competent outside threat, they can be your vertical threats and you can then create space underneath by having a DeAndre Hopkins going vertical because he's going to take a corner and a safety with him wherever he goes on the field. Once that guy leaves the field, you then have to create more confusion. You need to be able to put linebackers into conflict, put safeties into conflict to scheme guys open because you you don't have talent and the ability out there so that's something that really it's it's good news to me and it should be good news to all Cardinals fans that you've got a coach there that's understanding where he's made mistakes and he's understanding where he needs to improve going forward and that's all you can ask from a guy like Cliff is going okay so where have I done well where have I not done well or that um, he mentioned he'd rather work any other job in the world than go back to being a collegiate football coach which I think is is very interesting, especially with some of the earlier reports around the season when there were rumors around Cliff Kingsbury going back to college. And that is, it seems like that's never going to happen. Again, he's, he's just reinforcing a lot of these ideals around this is where I want to be. Loves, loves the town, loves the, love the city. Um, he did talk about particularly around the draft situation and the decision-making process in the building being being a very collaborative approach, and it's it's encouraging to see that and hear that confirmed again. We have our doubts at times. There are people that I'm one of them that will say, "Well, your owner and your GM are great mates, and they're always going to side with each other." But as long as that's not a feeling that that Cliff Kingsbury gets, then we're you you can't be can't be too worried as a as a fan of the team I guess, um, but it, it's a it was a good interview, good good content to to try and consume around the team because you do, you don't see mm-hmm. your head coach in that kind of informal situation a lot and you've got ex professional football players you've got Pat McAfee you've got AJ Hawk asking questions you've got Peter Schrager there as well who. I can't wait for his mock drafts to start coming out because he's he's obviously good mates with Cliff Kingsbury and he's <laughs> and he's very tuned into into that organization and 
who they like on the draft board. So that, that's probably the number one indicator of of where Arizona's looking in the draft. So look, it's it was just it was good content and a few little good tidbits coming out of out of Cliff. Yeah, I think it was fun with and Kingsbury's one of the people who we don't get to see enough of this as far as with him because he is so measured and composed as far as what the media goes. But when he does actually let down his guard, not only is he a great quote in a lot of different ways, but he's upfront and very open and honest. And like you said, there's a genuine nature to where he is. Like he says, I would do any job before going back to college football because you have to be on your phone constantly. You're worried that someone else is going to be recruiting when you aren't. There's this external pressure that you have of all of the social media to be on and posting versus just, you know, when you're done with football, you can go kind of live your life. You actually get a true off season. You're not having to worry about recruiting season. The draft season and off season in a lot of ways is really up to the scouts trusting what they've said for the most part. And then your personal meetings and interactions with players, getting some film in and then once the draft is over and you're finished with your getting guys on board with their rookie playbooks, you get to have a couple months off of a training camp. And that's kind of this mature avenue, at least, where you can see part of why his type of personality, people have always said he's going to be a much better coach in the NFL than he was in college football. We've even seen he's reached heights with an 11-win season that he never had at Texas Tech. And players like him, and some of it, I think, is he understands a good balance of letting his players be able to be adults in a lot of places. He's not a guy who's going to, you know, find a player for showing up with the wrong shoes. Uh, that's something that can be kind of the tough guy football culture that some people like and enjoy. Other people are just not about. He tries to treat his players um, in a totally mature sense, and in a lot of cases, they really like and respect him for it. You can see how guys like DJ Humphreys have gravitated to him overall. Um, when there was a lot of the rumors coming out, he compared it to WWE style versions of rivalries, which I think was a fantastic way to put it because, you know, Kyler, Kime and Cliff, they make all the money from the NFL and these teams that, you know, it's not that the Cardinals are the only team having to compete. There's no relegation going on for those who, you know, maybe aren't quite as international, at least as Kent is over here, who would know the avenue of college um, sports is their power conferences. And you want to have the better conference, at least so the idea of you could leave the SEC if you lose enough versus trying to get into the SEC. It's the closest thing that we have in the U.S. Otherwise, owners and players all just revenue share for the most part. It comes down to then you're not really rivals or hating another team. We've seen players go from one rival team to another. It ends up being a lot of that type of what he kind of talks about fake drama. Now, obviously, they're. Even if there is real drama, he's not going to comment on it. Um, I was curious to be able to see, like you said, with how it was a great interview. They compared him to Andy Reid, which I thought we can touch a little bit on. But he also went on and was able to talk a little bit more about J.J. Watt with how he was crushing weights. And it was kind of the one viral clip that was in there that Watt went out at least for his own kind of social media feed. And seeing a little bit of the example of friendly banter, some of that was some of the workplace area. It is contextually... Interesting to see the Cardinals be in what I would say is this almost news renaissance of when you think about Arizona back in the day, they had peaked in the 2008-2009 series. They peaked again with the launch of the All or Nothing season. And that was really kind of it. We've kind of seen with the addition of Cliff and Kyler has been this at least season-long type of relevancy 
bringing in someone like a J.J. Watt more than people just talking about how much they love the Larry Fitzgerald, who just hardly interviews at all for the most part and will say very nice things when he does. There's been, I think, a different level, at least, of Cardinals football that we've seen that really was only previously attached to Bruce Arians. I think in that regard, you've at least seen Cliff overall, and we'll see if this changes. You know, things can change in a flash from one season to the next. If the Cardinals end up going seven and ten next season and show a lot of struggles, maybe there's some impatience that pops up for the most part if they finish third in the division or even fourth if the Seahawks can manage to <laughs> figure something out at least for the most part with Russ, um, get him back to normal, get that defense back to normal. It just feels like that we've seen kind of this franchise take on a little bit more of this type of uh, a persona that in a lot of ways maybe kind of mirrors a little bit of Kyler and Cliff more than it might mirror a Steve Kime. And I don't think that's necessarily a bad thing overall, Ken. It, there feels like there's some youth and vigor in Arizona for the first time in a while. And it's one of those things I will say, covering Kyler Murray Ever since it was first reported that there could be interest in Arizona, it has never been a dull day covering this team. <laughs> and it's it's great. The, it's it's youth and it's excitement and it's fun because nobody wants to go to work and have it not be fun. And it's it's the right people in the building and and everyone pulling in the same direction. And he, he also mentioned, you know, JJ Watt walks into the room and suddenly everyone sits up a little bit straighter. And somebody, <laughs> some, they, they, you know, they, they lift a little bit heavier. And that kind of impact on the building is is it's invaluable you can't put a price on that kind of just presence and leadership and i think that's you know the work that that jj watt puts in and, and the work that kyla murray puts in there's a lot of guys on this roster who are win at all costs and kyla murray is one of those guys and jj watt is one of those guys kyla murray is one of those guys who who is they're going to sit there and they're going to do everything in their power to do their job perfectly and they are going to expect everyone else around them to do exactly the same thing now i don't think the rest of the organization is quite caught up to kyler yet in that aspect and i feel like that could also be one of the the issues where there's a little bit of tension around the team and going right back to the start of the you know the scapegoating process going right back to that start around kyler and the expectations that he puts on his teammates and the demonstrative the the demonstrative body language when he's upset and I I don't think Kyler Murray is the kind of guy that is going to be an outward leader he's going to be the kind of guy who is going to do his job and expect you to follow his lead um, but it is exciting to see a young building and a building that is it's exciting it seems to be thriving there's a buzz around it all the time and it's it seems like it's going to be an attractive place to play to play the sport so hopefully you can see a few more free agents want to come and sign a few more guys coming in the door being able to be difference makers and you know it's i hear it's not a bad place to live so who knows yeah, no, it's going to be uh, one of those aspects. I know Cliff even talked about the Scottsdale as far as for you. It's like a stay away from that area as much as you can. There's always little jokes you can have at least about the, you know, he's 42 years old and single at least for the most part as far as one of those bachelor NFL head coaches. 
Um, it will be something, I think, to be able to watch. I can say, at least for the most part, that there's questions and areas you can have about Kingsbury, but compared to how many NFL head coaches have refused to adapt, or even sometimes, like you said, maybe it may be obvious in hindsight to say, I should have done more with Hopkins out. But it's still at least reassuring to be able to hear. Um, it's something, at least, and as Cardinals fans, obviously, there's positives to take away, similar to what I think Michael Bidwell's taken away. There's been times where I heard radio interviews of repeating the same type of issues or problems, and then to hear some little bit of out of the season honesty. There's and put that with the improvement. It's one of those spots where it's a mixed bag. As far as you never know what's going to happen this next year. You and I have even said this team may be in a little bit of a pickle for the most part. I think though we've talked a little bit about some restructures or areas they've gotten into, but it is going to be a very important off season for them. I think they'll be able to create enough space to be able to sign some players, re-sign some key guys, but it is going to come down to they'll have to be able to draft better if they're going to hope that this sort of improvement will continue. We'll be able to talk more about some of that coming up, at least obviously the NFL Combine uh, has been happening. It should be wrapped up by the time you guys are listening to this. Uh, We'll be able to talk more about some of that as well as some of the different possibilities abilities as we get into the Cardinals offseason. Uh, Ken, as we wrap up tonight, um, for the listeners who do want to um, find you at least overall on Twitter, where can they um, talk to you, find your account? Uh, it's Kent underscore Hodder on Twitter and probably any other any other places on, on Twitter you can find me. Just uh, anybody who uh, is having a negative thought about Arizona, they're probably uh, quoting me or talking to me or you know, just going out there trying to make uh, trying to make my quotes go viral. Uh, absolutely. Yeah, no, it's great to be able to have it. I love also with that you'll be able to share the opinions for that too. Or I can be more hesitant to sometimes um, can have the opinions but not want to share them as much for the most part. I love the fact that you can be very much like, no, you're wrong type of a deal. It's always fun. Uh, it's a fun time interacting at least for all of that with Kent. You can follow me on Twitter at Blake Murphy. So and follow the pod at ROTB pod on Twitter as well. As always, it'll be hosted on revengeofthebirds.com. Th- Kent, thanks again for joining me for another week. Thank you for having me. Absolutely. Uh, great to have you on as far as that. Uh, shout out to uh, the listeners, at least, who are here. Thanks again. This has been the Revenge of the Birds podcast. <laughs>